Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. Good to see each of you here this morning. Children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Hope you have a great time. Wish I could kind of join you, especially if they're having a snack. That was always my favorite time. During elementary school, recess and lunch were always the best, right? If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7, we're going to continue our series as we walk through this book. I've had a few weeks break. I appreciate Paul Crow taking a couple weeks and preaching, bringing the word to us. hope you enjoyed that. hope you're encouraged by that. And then last week, uh, Cliff and Allison Reynolds, our missionaries that we support who are in England, uh, shared with us. And, uh, and then today we'll jump right back into Romans chapter 7 and we'll continue uh, to walk through this uh, the rest of this month here. I want to encourage you as you um, go throughout your week, this upcoming week, if you would, start uh, reading Romans chapter 8. And that way when you walk in next Sunday, you'll have a little bit more of an understanding and preparation. And uh, I think it will help you uh, as you come in and as we worship and as we open the text together uh, to be able to read through Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 7. It's interesting. I always try give you a glimpse of just a little snapshot of how I walk through my study time. So my study time, I kind of sit down with the text and I kind of read through it um, a couple times, a few times, and then I start jotting down notes. And then I kind of jot down my notes as I'm reading through it, and then I read through it again. And then uh, I always try to put together what I, what I think before I run into any commentaries. And so I uh, kind of did that, and then I went to the commentaries, and after I did what I did, uh, I ran to a couple commentaries, walked through them, and, and, then, uh, and then this morning I was just reading through another one just quickly, just to kind of browse, and, and, uh, and it came to light. Again, Romans chapter 7 is one of the uh, most popular chapters of the book of Romans, uh, but it also is one of the most debated chapters in Romans. And I kind of forgot about that. I knew that, but then seeing it in print, it was like, okay, do I really want to do this today? Um, But there is no other alternative um, because I'm not going to stand up here and share stories with you or some poetry, number one, because I am not good with poetry. Uh, I don't know it. um, And I'm not really a good storyteller either. So um, the other alternative is uh, we just pray and you go home. Um, but that's not really an alternative, right? I hope that's not an alternative for you. Ultimately, when we gather on Sunday mornings, it's about coming and worshiping and giving glory to our great God and opening his word and studying it. Amen? This is his word that he's given to us, and we need to know it. We need to be in it. We need to dig into it. We need to be equipped All right, that's my responsibility as a pastor, teacher, to help equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry. I'm not called to do all of the work. So those of you who uh, think that when you put your offering in the little box out there or you give online that you're paying the pastor to do all the work of the ministry, uh, sorry, that's not biblical. All right, I'm called to help equip you 
and we do the work of the ministry, uh, and we do that together. And, uh, and so as we walk through Romans 7, I don't think we should look at it with apprehension or fear, like I said that I kind of was reminded of that this morning. Uh, again, it's God's word, and, and we're seeing a progression as Paul's sharing uh, with those who are in uh, the church in Rome, those who are the believers there in Rome, that, that he would explain what does this faith look like? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to claim him as Savior and as Lord? And as he's walked us already through these first several chapters, and I'm not going to go back and rehash all of them, you can go back online and you can watch all of them, okay? Um, but part of this is the progression of where he's leading us. And just as we saw back several weeks ago in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6 he ultimately says that those of us who have claimed Christ, we're alive. We've died to sin, but we're alive with Christ. And, and again, if you have your text, I just want to read with you a verse, and then we'll jump on into chapter 17. But in chapter 6, verse 14, it won't be on the screen, so if you have your Bibles, open them, please. Romans chapter 6, verse 14, it says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but you're under grace. And so he wants to help in going to chapter 7. Hopefully that helps prepare you, because that helps set the stage for what chapter 7 is going to be all about. And that is the law. All right, And what role does the law have in our lives? And that's what we're going to cover. So if you would, would you stand with me as we read through Romans chapter 7. And you can follow along in your script and your text in front of you uh, or up on the screen as well. Romans chapter 7. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has raised been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so we now serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had, been, had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to, to be death to me. For sin, 
seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in the flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Would you bow and pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Romans chapter 7, and we pray, Lord, that you would help our minds to be open and receptive to what you have us to learn today. May your spirit be free to move in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, help us to be open and receptive to focus in on what you're trying to speak to us. And Lord, as we be hearers here, sitting here this morning, may we not just be the hearers, but may we be doers of your word as well. May this be an encouragement to us as we look at your word and as we think about even your law. Uh, we thank you for your law. It is good. It is holy as we've read. And Lord, may we utilize what is good and holy, Lord, as we pursue you and walk with you. May that cause us to love you more. And may we know you better. And so bless our time as we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So as I've already introduced for you, I believe he's building, Paul's building on Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. Um, you're not under the law, but you're under grace. And so Paul writes out this um, in the very beginning, the, really the first six verses of Romans chapter 7, um, he is writing to those who know the law or to those who don't know the law. Well, look at verse 1. He says, do you not know brothers? It's interesting he uses this phrase because he'll use it again in verse 4. He won't use it the rest of this chapter, but he uses it twice here very, very quickly in this first almost uh, kind of like a paragraph. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law? Meaning, he's, he's talking to the Jewish believers. All right, He's saying, you, you know the law, 
all right? And I'm talking to you that know it, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. And so as he writes this, he pretty much, again, he's trying to lay out what, it, what is the law's role that God and why God has given the law to mankind. And so as he does that, he lays out here in verse 1, law is binding on a person as long as they live. If you go back to chapter 6, he's already talked about dying. All right, in chapter, chapter 8, he's going to talk about it again. He's going to reiterate it. But in chapter 7, he's going to talk about the role of the law and its binding on only those who are still alive. But if we've died with Christ, then his reference here is ultimately you're dead to the law. All right, I kind of gave you the answer before I even asked the question. As we walk through this, Paul will, here in the beginning, give an illustration. His illustration is marriage. All right? Do not take this as a full um, uh, teaching on what marriage should look like. One of the things that, that I, really gets me frustrated as a pastor is when people take things out of context or they don't dig in a little bit to see the purpose of it. Do not take Romans chapter 7 and these few verses in, in verse 2 uh, through 3, 2 and 3, and tell me that this is how you're going to believe what marriage is. This is not what Paul is doing. Paul is not teaching us the doctrine of marriage in Romans chapter 7. Is there something we could learn from it? Sure. But that's not his purpose. His purpose of showing marriage here is an illustration. And his illustration is that you are under the law as long as you are alive. But when you die, you are no longer have to live according to that law. This is what he says. All right. For a married woman is bound to the law to her husband as he lives. But if her husband dies... She's released from the law of marriage because the law of marriage says you once married, always married, right? There's nothing wrong with that, and it should be the way marriage is. Paul is saying, you know the law. I've told, I'm talking to somebody who knows the law. Here's an illustration of what I'm talking about. If you're married and the woman is married and her husband dies, she's no longer bound to that marriage. She's free from it. Verse 3, accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another, she is not an adulteress. Meaning, while he's alive, she's bound to him. If he dies, she's free. And if she wanted to get remarried, she could get remarried. Because she's not bound. Because death changed what that law was about. All right? Now continue. Likewise, verse 4. Just like the illustration that I just shared with you, Paul is saying, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. It's what he re he's referencing, what he just talked about in chapter 6, that we are new creatures, that though we've had the wages of our sin is death, 
we have this free gift of God that comes through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we've died with him. And thus, Paul is saying, likewise, brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. The purpose of our life. If you look at any catechism that is written, it starts with this. Our chief aim is that we, what? Glorify God. That we enjoy God and that we glorify him in all that we do. That's what Paul is writing here. All right? That we would bear fruit. That we would bring him glory. We're bound to Christ now. We're not bound to the law. Those of you who wrestle with keeping the law versus following what we're going to see here in a little bit, following the Spirit, let me tell you, Romans chapter 7 is extremely clear. I don't know how more clear we can get it. We are no longer bound to the law. The Jew is no longer bound to the law because of what Christ offers. Some people would argue, and you have lots of arguments. My belief is that, as Paul is writing here to a Jewish audience... Not to the Gentile, but he's writing to the Jewish audience. He is saying to his brothers and sisters in Christ in verse 4, you also have died to the law. You've died to it. It is no longer what controls you and binds you. That doesn't mean it's not good. He'll talk about that. But the law is not what controls us. It's Christ who controls us. Christ that we're bound to. We belong to him who has been raised from the dead. I love that. Anytime Paul talks about the death of Christ, he also talks about his resurrection. And we, we need to remember that too. While we serve Jesus Christ and we follow Jesus Christ, we believe that he died for our sin. We serve a risen Savior. We follow a risen Savior who's alive today. Now, I hurt my ear uh, swimming, and, and so I have a little fogginess. I was waiting for some amens there. Maybe you said it, and, and I just didn't hear it. But we serve and we follow a risen Savior. Amen? That's our God. And Paul is saying, listen, we do that in order that we may bear fruit for God. Verse 5. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So here's what he's, he's contrasting here. We're bearing fruit for God, but he's reminding us, hey, as we lived for ourselves and our flesh, the law aroused in us this fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code, or as the Greek word would say, by the letter. We don't follow the letter of the law, we follow the Spirit of God. So as you live your life, are you living your life according to a set list of rules? I'm not saying that rules are bad. We have guidelines in our marriage. Lisa and I set out very early on in our marriage to help protect us and to help uh, care for us so that we in our flesh wouldn't give in to the temptations that may uh, come before us. Those aren't bad. 
We set those guidelines to help us. But I don't live according to those guidelines. I live according to the Spirit. And so as we look at this, Paul is writing, he say, we serve in the new way. We have died with Christ. We have been raised again. We have this new life. We're, not, we're no longer under law, but we're under grace. Does that give us the right to continue to sin that grace may abound? Surely not. And in the same way, we're not bound by the law anymore. We've been set free from that. And so Paul, as he continues, he writes in verse 7, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? That the, the law created in us and is sin to us and it made us to bear all of this fruit for death? Paul's response is the same response that he had earlier when he said, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid, surely not. He says, by no means. For if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. The purpose of the law is to provide knowledge of what sin is. He gives another example. Just as he gave the example of marriage for being set free because of our death through Christ. Uh, we're set free from the law. We're no longer bound to the law. He is writing here. Here's another example. The example is this. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now we know that is a law in Exodus 20 verse 17 and Deuteronomy 5.21. It's part of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. And so Paul is writing here, he's saying, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, um, thou shalt not covet. And I love this next part because he's really explaining what transpires in our inner parts as we walk through life. When we hear the law, the law says, don't covet. And so inside, we have this wrestling that's going on. And Paul explains it. But sin, apart from the law, because again, the law is not sin. Sin is something different. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment or through the law, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. He's going back to what he has referenced already, what he has built a strong case for. And that is in Romans chapter 3, when he says that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And he references it later in Romans chapter 5, when he says that sin was passed down from one man to all of every man and woman and child who has ever been born. It's a sin condition. And so what Paul is writing is says, hey, you have this thing. That when a law is given to you, thou shalt not covet, all of a sudden something inside of you, because you have this sin condition inside of you, you have this problem inside of you, it stirs within you, it hears this command, thou shalt not covet, and it tells you, and it's telling you, and it's sharing with you all the reasons why you should covet. And it says, it's okay to look at that person and see their nice boat and say, oh, I really would like to have that boat. Or, man, I really wish I had their house. Or, man, I really wish I had those really cool shoes. That covetousness, there's a war that's taking place. There's a wrestling. He says, sin 
seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Now, it's interesting as you dig in a little bit deeper here in the end of that verse 8. For apart from the law, sin, and you need to kind of almost take out lies dead. Because the word lies isn't in the Greek. Sin is dead. And so when it means dead here, um, ultimately it means that sin, seizing that opportunity through the commandment, it deceived me and through it, it killed me. And so when we see this, uh, it, it is sin that lies, what we would say, dormant. If there's no commandment, sin is still there. Everyone's born with it. But if you don't have a law, if you don't have that commandment telling you that it's wrong, that sin doesn't well up. You don't really know that it's wrong. And so it's not until you get that commandment that says, thou shalt not covet, that all of a sudden your sin entices you and says, this is not that bad. This is okay. You can do this. And that takes us back to when sin was introduced in the very beginning, back in Genesis. And the lies that the serpent brought Eve are still lies that we hear today and that we, uh, that sin tells us. And Paul's writing here, he says, listen, uh, the very commandment that promised life, thou shalt not covet. And even what God said as he gave these commandments to the nation of Israel, I want you to be holy and distinct, to be set apart from all the other nations. These very commandments, what did they do? They promised life, they proved to be death to me. Why did they prove to be death? Because you can't keep them. You can't keep the law. You can't keep it in and of yourselves. You don't have enough in and of yourselves to muster up the strength to be able to keep and never sin. It's an actually, in one way, it's encouraging. In another way, it's deeply concerning. As we look at where we are as mankind, the very thing that we think and the very good and holy, what we're going to see, God's description of what a command and what the law is, it's good, it's holy, it's righteous. That very thing that we grasp for, that, 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 that people still today grasp for, that would produce righteousness and goodness in them, is not something that will give them life. And in fact, it shows them death. It produces death in them because of the sin that's in each of us. For sin, verse 11, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, it's the same phrase that he used just earlier in verse 8. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law goes back to his question in verse 7. Uh, is the law sin? No. In verse 12, he says, so the law is holy. 
And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? And he says, and answers the same way that he has answered before, by no means. So that which was good, meaning the commandment, thou shalt not covet. Did that bring death to me? He says, no, it didn't. It was, what is it? Verse 13. What brings death? Sin. Sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. When we have that commandment, the Ten Commandments show us we can't keep the law. That's the beauty of the Ten Commandments. It's not that we shouldn't live them. They are very good. But the truth is we can't live them apart from Christ. And when we try to live them apart from Christ, it stirs within us a deception. It deceives us, thinking that we may be good enough. But what it produces is death. It goes back to what Paul has said in Romans chapter 6, the last verse. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that which was good shows us that what's inside of us is the issue. We all have this sinful condition. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Now, this is where some of the controversy lies, and I'm not going to dig into this deep here today, okay? Part of this is, is in this next section is Paul talking about um, him before he uh, became a Christian, before he was regenerated. It's Paul talking about his old self, the, the self before, uh, before the forgiveness of his sin, claiming Christ as his Savior. Or is this Paul talking, even as, uh, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, the struggles that he has? I'm going to let you wrestle that out. What we want to talk about, what I want to focus on, is the role of the law here this morning. Because that's what Paul's getting at. All right, it's the role of the law in our lives. And that's what he's trying to make. But as Paul is writing, and you can take it whether it's before he's a Christian or after he's a Christian, I think the same is truth. And that is that we know the law is spiritual, it's good, but I am of the flesh. And the truth is, as Paul will write in many of his epistles, we wrestle with the flesh. And he's writing to believers in those epistles. And so as we think about the flesh, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, our sinful desires just don't go away, do they? Any of you witnessed that? You've gone through that? I'd like to know your secret. Because at an early age, I accepted Jesus Christ. And while that changed my heart, and it has changed my motivation, and has changed how I live my life, I still wrestle and struggle with sin every day. Do you? The truth is, we will continue. Why? Because we are in the flesh. Paul says, I'm in the flesh. And he says, sold under sin. Now, I believe that Christ sets us free from the bondage of sin. 
again, you go back and you look at chapter 5 and chapter 6 of what we've just walked through in Romans. To die with Christ is to be alive with him. To be set free. And where we see in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We stand free from sin. But as Paul is writing, he said, I'm sold under sin, which goes to what he has written in chapter 1 through 3 and 4, where we're all sinners passed down from Adam. Verse 15, Paul changes as he is sharing with the believers here in Romans, he changes to make this personal here. And so you are going to see the word I quite a bit in these next several verses. And I think he does that for a reason. I don't think it's just so that he can look humble, but I think it's really to help those who are hearing this to know that even he is struggling as he walks in his faith and his walk with Jesus Christ. Verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want. I agree with the law that it is good. I do what I do not want. I agree with the law that it is good. Verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. Paul is saying, I, I want to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law, verse 21, find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Whether you view this as Paul before he is saved or after he is saved, the truth is there's a wrestling that goes on when we encounter sin. And that sin isn't just circumstances around us. That sin is a wrestling that we have to contend with in our innermost being. And Paul says, the law shows me what is good. The law tells me what is right. The law shows me what is holy. He's used that term, to be distinct, to be set apart. Our world, we don't want to be distinct. We don't want to be set apart because that makes you look weird or you're different. No, to be holy doesn't mean to be perfect. It means to be distinct, to be set apart for God's glory. And we see that the law being, being what it is, holy and righteous and good, shows us this goodness of a righteous and good God. It shows us his very character. And yet in that law, it produces in us, because of the sin that's in us, a desire to rebel against that. 
That's what sin is. Sin is a rebellion against the perfect and almighty holy God. His law shows us who he is. His law shows us his righteous standard. And yet we can't keep that because we're sinners. And even though Paul is saying, even though I want to do that, I can't do that in my own self because I am in the flesh. So he says in verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do what's right, evil is right there. Why? Because sin is in him. Again, when we acknowledge and claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we, we've died to sin. We've been set free from that bondage. We've been what's called redeemed. We've been purchased at the slave market of sin, and we've been set free from what has held us captive, and yet sin is still part of us. And so Paul is saying, even though I desire to do what's right, I realize that this sin is right there too. And in some of his epistles, he talks about the war that wages. Verse 22, For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members, or his flesh, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, in my body. So he says, I have this law of my mind, what I know to be right, what I know to be true. This is what I know. This is what I acknowledge. And yet there is a war that's taking place amongst my members. They're fighting against one another. We'll get to more of this in a minute. But you ever been tempted and in your mind in that split second, you know what is right. You know in your mind, you're like, yes, I know I should not do this. Or I know I should do this. And yet in that very moment, you have this war that's taking place in your mind amongst the rest of your body. Are you going to do it? Are you not going to do it? You know in your mind what is the truth. That's what Paul's writing about, this waging war. And he says this statement. He says, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my many members. And he says, this wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This sin, who can deliver me? Who can help me? Who can set me free? Who can help me in this war that wages? He says this, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you realize that as you battle sin, every day there is an answer. And his name is Jesus Christ. You've been given a savior. You've been given a way out. You've, given, you've been given somebody who can help you when you look and you evaluate your life and you say, a wretched man or a wretched woman that I am. 
That term wretched is like when you take a, a towel or a wash rag and you're trying to wring it out and what's left, you're getting all that's left and you realize there's nothing left in me. And Paul say, wretched man that I am, there's nothing good of me. I have nothing to give. And he says this, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's our hope. And then he finishes with this. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. As we quickly walk through this, I want to give us a couple, um, three things to think about. When we walk through the law, the law is a reminder to us uh, of ultimately who we're going to listen to. And that's where I think why he uses marriage in the first part of this chapter as an illustration. He's like, you're listening to the law. You are ultimately, the law is your master and it controls you. If you're married to a man and he dies, then you're free from that. Ultimately, the law is who was master of the Israelites for many of them. God didn't want the law to become the master of them. But as you look throughout history, you see where they abused the law and even created some of their own laws to fill in the gaps. And thus we see why the Pharisees and Sadducees lived the way that they lived. They, they let the law control them. They were masters to the law. This is my question to you. And it may not be the law that you're master to, but let me ask you, who is your master? And it's this. You have to choose your master. God gives us choice. And while each of us have a sin condition in our life, we can choose the master that we will follow. Paul is writing here for us and saying, don't choose the law. The law isn't our master because we're dead. We've died. Because we've died, we've been set free from the law. And now we follow Christ and it's his spirit who guides us. And ultimately, that's salvation for us. For those of us who have claimed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we choose him as our master and Lord. Have you done that today? And if you have, and you've strayed from him, maybe this is a reminder to you, are you still choosing Jesus as your master? We're a little scared to use that term because of all the abuses of the past, and rightfully so. But Jesus is the perfect master, is he not? He says, you follow me, and I'll provide all that you need. And not only that, he says, you follow me, and you trust me, and I will give you a burden that is light, and a yoke that is easy. That's the kind of master Jesus is. Number two, we have to choose life or death. We have to choose life or death. I, I love what uh, Chuck Swindoll says in his commentary here. And he says this, each opportunity to sin is an invitation to submit 
our bodies to something. Temptation asks the following question. To which master will you submit your body for the next few moments? Your compulsion, which always leaves you feeling emptier than before? Or Christ, who always affirms your value as a child of God? When you think about being tempted, being tempted is not sin, by the way. All right? It's the bridge that oftentimes leads us to sin. But we have a choice, again, there, whether or not in that moment of temptation we will choose what is right or what is wrong. And when we are tempted, as Chuck Swindoll says here, who will your master be? And ultimately, as Paul has written for us, when we give in to sin, that leads to death. And you think about the sins that you've committed this week. Just pause and think back to the sin that you've committed. Has it made you feel good in the long term? Has it provided something for you that you were missing, that you were longing for? That, that, that deeper value, that deeper appreciation for God and for his beauty and for his character? Sin won't do that. Sin can't provide that. It lies to you, telling you that it will provide you something. And the scriptures even tell us that sin is sweet for a season, but its end leads to destruction. And so when we think about this, this, this temptation, and when we're tempted, we have to ask ourselves, am I going to submit? Am I going to put myself under? Because that's what you're going to do. You're either going to put yourself underneath your own compulsions and your own desires, or you're going to put yourself underneath the almighty God, Christ, who affirms who you are as his child. You and I have that that we deal with every single day. We have to walk through those temptations. But really, in some ways, we can boil it down to, in this moment where I am tempted, can I stop and say, is this going to be life-giving? Or is this going to bring death? Sin brings death. Sin will always cost you more than what you're willing to give. It will lead you farther than you will ever have imagined. And it will affect more people than you ever dreamed. Sin does not come cheaply. And we wrestle with it every day. Will you choose life or will you choose death? Neat story if you think about cancer and what cancer brings. Cancer brings death, right? And we know this through the years. We've created this uh, great uh, um, invention called the MRI. The MRI, as it came out, helped us to see deeper parts so that when somebody was diagnosed with cancer before the MRI, that you were just pretty much at that point where you were, you were committed and you were, you were along that way and you were dying. Well, the MRI helped us to see uh, deeper in to be able to say, okay, what 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 is going on here? And it revealed things uh, to us that we couldn't see before. That's the beauty of the law. The law helps to reveal things. It helps reveal sin. That's why we, we dig into the word. That's why we study it. That's why we, 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 we need to make it regularly part of our everyday. 
It's how we know God and who he is. It's how we, how we come closer to him in our relationship by reading it and studying it and praying and talking with him. It helps reveal to us the condition of our heart. And that's what the law does. The law helps to see, man, I have this sinful condition. And in that moment, I'm going to choose either life or I'm going to choose death. One of the hardest things as a pastor is to walk through life with people who continually make bad choices. They choose death. And you try to share with them. And you try to tell them, hey, honor God. Do it God's way. Try it God's way. It really does work. And yet they continue decision after decision of walking away from God and the values and, the, and, and what he has told us in his word. And then we wonder why we're so messed up. It's not because I said it. It's because we choose our own pleasure and our own impulses in those moments instead of choosing life. The third is this. Choose, and I put this in quotes, in recovery. In recovery. Because the truth is we're never cured from sin. All right, we're not cured from sin. We have a sin condition. Christ took care of that, and now I stand righteous before the Almighty God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But I'm not cured from sin. I still struggle and I wrestle with this flesh, and it's much like an addict. Anybody who has an addiction, while they may advance and they may not have those struggles years down the road, they will still say, those who are wise will still say, they're in recovery. Why? Because it could come back at any moment. We are the same. We, we have an addiction problem and our addiction is sin. Our addiction is our pride. Our addiction is to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And if we want to be truthful and we want to be honest... What's the problem, not of America, not of our world, not of our Akron area, but let's be real here. I know, pull your toes back. What's your problem? What's our problem as a church? We are addicted to sin. And we like it. And it manifests itself in different ways in each one's life. What draws you to continue to pull and to go to pornography and to see those images and to watch those movies? What draws you to lie and to cheat and to steal? You say, I don't have those problems. What draws you to gossip? What draws you to take time to do everything else, but you neglect your time with God and in his word? We're all guilty of sin, and we're all addicted to it, whether it's sins of omission or sins of commission, whether it's sins we're doing or sins that we are committing because we're not doing what God wants. We are all in recovery, and we all need the freedom that God has given us through his spirit, and yet we live lives so full of ourselves that we don't even hear the spirit of the living God. We know all the right answers. We think we know all the answers. And yet we continue 
to live our own way. And part of that is, is because we want to improve ourselves. We think it's done through self-improvement. Our world has told us that's how you get things done. But let me tell you, that's not what the word of God tells us. You can't improve yourself. Did you know that? You can make good decisions and bad decisions. I can choose to have six donuts today. Or I can choose to have one bagel. And the bagel is probably not good for me either. I know. We have choices, but we can't ultimately improve ourselves. It is the spirit of the living God that we allow access to our lives, to our minds, to our hearts, to our bodies. That's why it's called the fruits of the spirit that we get to live out. It's not something that we conjure up and that we're going to say, okay, I'm going to do it today. No, when we're tempted, we need the spirit of the living God and we need to listen to him. He's there and he will guide us and help us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Each one of those fruits of the spirits that God desires for us to have isn't something that we can do in and of ourselves. Paul has mentioned that in this chapter. The law can't produce all of that but it's the spirit of God that can do its work in us to know Christ. Our men's class, we've been walking through spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines don't produce righteousness. The righteousness that we gain is through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So if you're looking to do spiritual disciplines or any other disciplines that will produce righteousness, let me tell you, you will fail to know Christ is the ultimate goal. And the more you know Christ, the more that you will be in recovery and that you will be able to defeat sin and its temptations. To know Christ, when you run to him and claim him and look to him and hold to him, instead of your way or the world's way, the truth is God has given us the way to follow him and to trust him. There are godly men and women that we read of who have strived to know Christ and to follow him. It's not like we're in this alone and it's not like there isn't generations before us that have sought this out. That's the beauty of the day and age where we live today. We have more resources at our fingers, good and bad. But will you choose in your mind to say, you know what, I cannot do this in and of myself. I believe I need Christ and I need him to guide me and I need him to help me each and every day. Ultimately, when we look at this sin issue, we all have it. And when we're tempted, when the law reveals to us, okay, here's the decision. Here's the turning point. Will I choose this or choose God and his way? Ultimately, I think it comes down to this question. Will I love God more than I love my sin? I stand here as a humble man, many times failing. I don't claim today to know it all and to have conquered it all. I'm a recovering addict just like you. Seeking God, but seeking to love him more than loving myself than loving the sin 
that wages war in me. There's lots of opportunities for you as you think of temptation and sin. I won't, I'll quickly just mention these, but I'm not going to go in depth. When you're tempted, flee it. It's scriptural. Run away. Change your circumstances, even if that's in just that few brief moments. All right? Flee temptation. Then back that up immediately with a godly action. While prayer is good and you need to pray, do something tangible. Do something physically tangible, a godly action that replaces what you're tempted to do. And then thank the Lord. I love Paul because he's written it here for us. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord in verse 25. We see this even in his uh, epistle to the, to the church in Philippi. To give thanks in all things. So thank the Lord. Thank him for having the opportunity to choose. To choose him. To choose what's right, what's spiritual, what gives us life. And then... The fourth thing is discern. Where, where did this temptation come from? What's the trigger? Dig a little deeper and then try not to put yourself in those same situations. If you're sitting at a bar meeting with somebody and you have an alcohol issue, don't go to the bar. That's a trigger. That's digging in, discerning, saying, okay, there, there's situations that I don't want to put myself in. In that same way, we can look at that as we're tempted, as we look at our sin and the war that's waging because I'm not bound to the law, but I live my life according to the spirit. Paul's going to walk us through in chapter eight. What does that mean? Man, I do not do what I want to do. Paul said it for us. There's times where he's wrestling in his flesh. Just because Paul wrestled and struggled doesn't mean that we can excuse our sin, though. I've heard people say, well, if Paul sinned, then I can sin too. It's okay. Look where it got him. Really? We'll come up with any excuse to do what we want. But don't do that. Choose life. Choose God. Flee temptation. Take godly action. Thank the Lord. And then be discerning in what the trigger is. Would you pray with me, Lord? We thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word. And I would say for many of us, we would echo Paul's words. We have the desire to do what is right. And yet many of us, we struggle with the ability to carry it out. A lot of us, we seek to do it in and of ourselves. And we need you, Lord. We need your spirit to guide us, to direct us, to show us to equip us. You've told us that we've already gained the victory. We shouldn't walk around in this battle as defeatists or even as alarmists. But Lord, we sound the alarm this morning Seeking to be different when we leave here in just a few moments. Seeking your spirit to draw us closer to you. That we may continue to know Christ. Forgetting what lies behind. 
and pursuing forward, walking, moving forward with our eyes fixed upon our Savior, believing and trusting him and his word. So increase our faith, please, Lord. Help us to believe that your way brings life. That sin is deceptive. And it's evil. And it leads to death. And in this way of choosing you as our master. Jesus Christ would be our Lord and Savior and master. Choosing life over death what is right and holy and acceptable. Lord, we may show the world that you are real and that you're a God worthy to be trusted because you have a people that are willing to be holy, a people who are willing to be distinct and set apart. Not for our glory, We know it produces good in us. It's good for us to obey you. But we do it because we want to bear fruit for you. Because you're worthy of our lives. You're worthy of anything that we could possibly bring before your throne. Which we're not worthy of producing. Only through your son Jesus And only through the spirit that lives in us can we live holy lives. In this moment where you sit, I don't don't know what's going on in your life, each individual of you, but I wonder if some of you have just been wrestling in a season of sin. And it's got a good hold of you. Maybe some of you have just started dabbling. Others of you have gone quite a long time. But this morning, the Spirit of God has convicted you. And you don't want to live that way anymore. You want to live according to God's way in a different standard. Would you repent from your sin right now? Would you turn to Jesus, acknowledging where you are? Lord, I do believe that this is a group of people here today that desires to love you and desires to know you more. And yet we struggle in our own selves because of sin. May you continue to do your work in us, revealing sin to us, so that by your work and your spirit's work in our life, you would help us to remove that sin to flee from it to run from it 
not to dabble in it, not to play with it, not to see how close we could get. But that we would pursue righteous and holy lives. May you continue to encourage your people, Lord. May we continue to see your love for us. And we are so grateful. And as Paul writes, we are thankful to you, Lord, because of what your son Jesus Christ has done for each of us. Help us to live lives that show that thankfulness, that match what our minds believe, what we know to be true. May our hands and our feet display it. We love you. We pray this in the blessed name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a great week.